Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Um, today, with any luck, um, I haven't been able to get in contact with him, unfortunately, but uh, we're supposed to be uh, interviewing Marcin, or Marcin, actually. His name is Marcin. He's uh, from Poland, and uh, he's the leader of the open source ecology movement. Um, I'm going to have two panelists today as well. Uh, if for some reason he's not able to come on, I'm sure we'll be able to reschedule it later. I ended up talking to that guy for a couple hours um, recently. Um, if it does come down to that, you know, I'll give him about a half hour or so, then what we'll do is um, I'll just end this segment and then we'll uh, we'll bring him back later. But um, I also wanted to take a moment to tell you guys where I've been. Uh, I just kind of needed a... Um, um, I basically needed a break because it's, I had been doing the everyday show thing and it kind of burned me out. I didn't think that was going to happen because I have done everyday shows in the past. But it just got to a point where I felt, well, you know, I don't want to just throw something together. I want to make sure I have good quality shows. And I also wanted to make sure that the subject matter was still fresh and something I was passionate about. And it's not that I'm in any way losing interest. It's just that, you know, there's only so much you can do. You know, only so many times you can talk about the same thing over and over again. So uh, to try to come up with uh, material every day uh, was not going to be easy. So, um I will be coming back to doing regular shows. You know, don't worry about that. It was just a question of at the time. Uh, there was also a lot of stressful things going on in my life, and I needed to take a break. So, but I'm back now, um, and I'm looking forward to the, this interview today, provided we can actually get it started. Um, and if not, well, we'll reschedule it. I'm going to be adding um, Chibi to the call here in a for a moment because he agreed to come on today to talk because uh, we were going to have a special two-hour segment. Um, of uh, the radio today to talk to the people from open source ecology. So, um, in any case, uh, I'm going to go ahead and have my panelists introduce themselves since it has been a while. I'm going to start with you, Dark Dancer. Go ahead and tell them who you are and where you're from and what it is you're doing on this call. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Neil. Uh, well, yes, uh, I am uh, Dark Dancer, or also known as uh, Gilbert, which is my normal name. Um, glad to have you back. To start off, Neil, I understand that you have been putting a lot of effort into the shows and that sometimes it can be wearing a person down, so everybody should be able to understand that. Um, myself, I'm from the Netherlands. I also represent uh, the Dutch chapter of the Zeitgeist movement in a way, and I work a lot with the international chapters, which would be uh, a, a synonym for departments in all the countries in the world. So I'm very busy with that and overseeing how everything goes and just checking checking progress, helping them organize. That's basically what I do day by day. What am I doing on this call? Well, um, I'm, for one, very interested in projects that have uh, ambitions that are in, in line with the, the Venus Project and the resource-based economy. And I think that the open source ecology project, uh, especially uh, with with the, the current set of ambitions and goals they have displayed on their page and their, their uh, uh, sorry, their website and whatever else, other material there is available. Uh, I think that's very much in line with what we're, what we're trying to achieve. So that's basically why I came here out of interest to discuss uh, several things with the director of the project. Definitely. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, I've started a couple threads about this because I was hoping that more people would pay attention. But open source ecology or openfarmtech.org 
uh, is an organization basically that, that came together for the purpose of trying to be able to make enough open source technologies to allow people to basically liberate themselves um, in the event of an economic uh, collapse that they'd be able to take care of themselves. Um, they have been doing a lot of research into this um, and actually putting the shovel in the dirt. And I know that there are a lot of people in the Zeitgeist movement who would love to be doing that right now. And um, I, I actually, after talking to Marchin, he seems very interested. And in fact, uh, he said he's going to join the local Zeitgeist chapter. Um, I guess he now lives in the United States. Um, so uh, I believe he's also a PhD. When we bring him on here, I will definitely uh, look over all of that. And um, you know, we'll have an opportunity to talk to him about you know, what his credentials were and you know, what got him involved and what it is that he's doing. But um, and then uh, somebody in our chat room is typing in giant purple capital letters. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm going to move on to Chibi, who hates introducing himself. But since it's been like two or three weeks since I've had him on a show, I think he can do it again. <laughs> Hello, Chibi. Tell him what's up. <laughs> hey, well, this is, um, I go by Chibi. I'm from Missouri in the U.S. And I'm just here to, I'm really excited to talk to this guy as well, actually. Because I remember reading about this, uh, what, like, 70 months ago, really long mm -hmm. time ago, and I'm glad to see they're still around and, and you know, doing well. Yeah, me too, and I, I definitely hope that we can get a hold of him. Um, I'm just, I'm not seeing any sign of it as of yet. Uh, he did email me earlier today, but he's very busy. Um, apparently, he does most of the work for the open source ecology movement, so um, he's generally very busy, and I, I believe he's out of Missouri. I could be right. Oh, um... Also, Chibi, some of the listeners are telling me that you're a little quiet. I don't know if there's anything you can do about that. But, um, but uh, yeah, there's a series of YouTube videos that I played actually at Zeitgeist TV a while ago from these guys and the work that they're doing, building hydroponic farms, um, building uh, solar arrays, um, creating machines to allow them to build their own bricks, to build their own buildings. Um, you know, just basically trying to make a, an easy-to-make, you know, basically kind of self, you know, do-it-yourself, self-sustaining economy for about 30 people at a time. Um, and they do it with scrap metal. That's the plan, is that they want to be able to design these open source technologies so that they can be used uh, regardless of where you are, and all you need to do is find some scrap metal. So in the event of some kind of apocalyptic collapse, um, scrap metal is probably going to be one of the only things you can find. Um, and... The idea behind making it open source is that it's free. This technology is free. Um, it looks like he's trying to call, so I'm going to go ahead and add him. One moment. Is my microphone better? Yeah, you're, you're louder now. Okay, it's a good thing I waited out. I'm going to go ahead and call him back because it's easier for me to add him to the call that way. Um, go ahead and do that. But yeah, anyway, um, once again, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to V Radio. And... Um, we uh, are just bringing on our guest right now. I'm going to ask him to pronounce his name because I won't be able to. Um, <laughs> so there we go. Marchin, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Excellent, Hello. excellent. We're so glad we had you. We were a little worried maybe something happened. No, no, I, sorry. I'm a little late here. Just That's getting okay. in. Well, we understand, you know, all of us here in this uh, open source, you know, world <laughs> movement are very busy. So yeah. um, why don't you take a moment and um, introduce yourself to the listeners. Um, mm -hmm. We're all very excited to hear from you. And I also yeah. want to tell you, I have a couple of panelists 
Um, okay. And, uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to introduce you to them because uh, you weren't here yet, but uh, we'll get to that later. But go ahead and take a moment, tell them who you are, your credentials, and what got yeah. you started, and then talk about open source ecology. Okay. Who's on the on line there? Who do we have? I see like five people. Um, yeah. Uh, Chidi and Dark Dancer are both uh, members of the Zeitgeist movement. Uh, Chidi okay. is one of my friends here in the United States, and Dark Dancer is actually from the Netherlands. Okay. Uh, how many people do we have? We have uh, we have a live audience right now, like 200 people or so. Um, right now, actually, I don't. I've only got about 18, but that steadily okay. goes up as the show goes. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, my name is Marchin. Um, from Open Source Ecology, I started this thing here a few years ago. Uh, what have you? Have you introduced me in any way? Have you said anything? What have you said Just so far? Just talked a little bit about open source ecology, but I mean, we've only been on for about eight minutes, and we also took yeah. time to introduce the other guests. So go ahead and just uh, yeah. let, it, let them have it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, as far as just just to kind of gauge, I mean, it's difficult to know where to start. But um, out of the listeners, have you guys looked at the our website and, and any background information? Or are you totally pretty much new to this. Well, me and Chibi have. I know that. Um, mm -hmm. Did you get a chance to look at it at all, uh, Dark Dancer? Yes, I have been looking at it, and I also looked to the uh, five-minute uh, factory farm introduction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love those yeah. videos. Yeah. Yeah, so as far as what we're doing here, I, I got actually pretty excited by um, when I found out about the latest up updates in Zeitgeist, I saw the movie several years ago, and uh, several years it was well when it came out, that was over a year ago, uh, the first part, and um, it's very exciting stuff. It's the kind of stuff that um, I've been also finding out as well. So it wasn't the first time I heard it, but right now there's a very, I think, very new and interesting updates in the and what you guys are doing that relate to open source ecology, what we're doing here on the ground, because um, if you may, the open source ecology movement is something that aims to, to generate the resource-based economy, which, which the Zeitgeist movement talks about. We're doing that right here, actually. So I, I was doing going about it, uh, creating open source technologies for sustainable living, um, Basically, what we do here, we have a land-based facility of about 30 acres, and um, yeah, where to start? Uh, we're the essence of it is is developing open source technologies for sustainable living. Uh, as far as the real results on the ground, um, well, we've built the com the compressed earth brick press and the tractor and a lot of different infrastructure technologies for addressing the, the concepts of local production using local resources, um, right livelihood, resilient community kind of ideas. And um, yeah, I don't really know where to go. My background is uh, basically, um, just to tell you a little bit about why I got out here in the middle of uh, rural Missouri. When I finished grad school with a PhD in physics, I found myself really uh, disappointed with the deal I got because I didn't really learn anything practical at the end of the day. 
I was always mm-hmm. hoping that that when um, if I if I went through the whole program, well, there's got to be something at the other end in terms of real visible uh, impact on making life better for people. So that was always my motivation. I thought about that for as long as I can remember. And when I found out that um, the movement for for living ecologically sound and living sustainably um, was pretty limited, so we wanted to to do an experiment of our own, what could really be done. So we wanted to basically put ourselves as guinea pigs to test out the concepts that, that we're talking about. And that's that started only three years ago, um, is when we got this land here and we're building, uh, we're building infrastructure up and um, trying to, f- to fill in a, a gap that, that I felt was really, really there. And what we found out so far is that uh, in an adventure like this where you try to go out to the land to live sustainably or to uh, actually talk about creating a new civilization, which is what we talk about, uh, basically open sourcing the whole infrastructure of, for living that can serve as a basis for new communities, for for new economies in the future. That's that's what we're after. But uh, we, one of the things we found out was that the tools for doing that are not accessible. They're they're cost prohibitive. And basically, we found the concept that you guys talk about, which is the about things breaking down. So one of the essential design features of what we do is lifetime design. Uh, kind of to, to break the cyclic consumption cycle. But that's, um, as far as the availability of, of tools for tools and techniques for energy production, whatever, all the, all the needs, the food, energy, housing, transportation, technology, all of that, it's, it's, it's not really there if you think about it, if you want to go out to a land-based facility and try to start, start your community that that was really missing so we had to start by open sourcing things and uh, like for example the tractor broke down so we said hey we're not going to mess with this industrial detritus anymore we're going to build our own so that's kind of the motivation behind it and um, we're building uh, step by step uh, all the tools and techniques needed for for a good life but maybe um, yeah let's let's maybe get some discussion going here because I don't <laughs> sure. know where to no, it's what, fine. You didn't bother. Um, basically, um, you know, I would, I'd like to say, you know, the, the, the tractor was actually very impressive. And what you were talking about there is something we talk about actually quite a bit is that what you were basically dealing with with that tractor was, tractor was this planned obsolescence. You know, mm-hmm. the, the capitalist system creates uh, products that are just good enough to get you to buy them, but it's not mm-hmm. really profitable for them to build anything that's sustainable or anything that's, you know, like if, if your family's going to buy one tractor and pass it on to their grandchildren, then the tractor company is not exactly making a lot of money. And yeah. the, the more they found out that they slowly can condition the consumer to accept more and more, you know, crappy tractors, you know, that's where the, the whole theme, you know, they don't make them like they used to, comes from. And, yeah. you know, basically, you know, I just wanted to ask you, you know, I mean, I know I gave you some of the source material. Did you get an opportunity to check out the Venus Project or the Zeitgeist movies that I linked to you? Absolutely. And I did see the latest, um, um, the lecture from London. Mm-hmm. that I've seen last night, and that was um, that was great, because as I mentioned, I, I saw the first Zeitgeist movie, and, and in it, it was, I mean, it was basically stating some of the things that go on in the world, but 
there weren't any solutions. And right now, the program is turning much, much more solution-based. Right. The, the two things that stand out for me are that there is no they, no them. It's all of us. Mm-hmm. And the second part is the the resource-based economy where for us, I mean, we really connect and we want to see how far we can go in, in terms of collaboration. But what we want to do is, the way we look at it is if we can build up enough of a productive capacity, that means both in agriculture, now what I call open source agroecology, and the modern production capacity, which, which we call digital fabrication, um, open source digital fabrication where you can share designs worldwide. You can have automation that, that translates uh, designs uh, sourced globally by gl- a global development effort, and you can produce those things locally if you have equipment such as a torch table or a 3D printer, etc. And those are two things that we're actually getting built right now. Uh, so. Um, as far as the resource, well, as far as the resource-based economy, that's that's a big topic. And so what we're saying is that if we can get up the production capacity in all the areas of all the sectors of society, I mean, basically that's when you create an an economy. If it's based on lifetime design, then then you really are getting into the uh, living from local resources, the the resource-based economy, where where the money system just becomes much less and less important. And that's something we actually call neo-subsistence here, where we say, well, we can produce for markets if we want to, but we don't have to because we're largely self-sustaining. So uh, there's a very unique opportunity today with existing technology where we can get comfortable lifestyles and not having to contribute to, to the geopolitical issues. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, and actually it occurred to me, you know, because I actually had a friend of mine talk to me about this recently. They said, you know, well, you know, should we participate in that system, you know, the capitalist system while we're at this? And I said, well, of course, what you can do is if the difference is, is that like, you know, let's say, for example, I remember watching one of your videos. You guys made a lot more food uh, than you needed with your um, hydroponic farm system. And uh, you, you ended up selling it. Was that correct? If I remember right. right? Yeah, that was those are dedicated, I mean, overall, I mean, we got to say that we're not off-grid on a food yet because we just haven't gotten to implement that system fully, but we do have like an orchard of about four acres right now, almost uh, probably like 500 or 600 trees and so forth. But, yeah, that was one experiment where we, we tried intensive production uh, of lettuce, and that, that experiment actually turned out... Yes, we did do excellent. We sold out really quickly at market. But um, since we're doing it organically, the second crop totally failed. So we learned uh-huh. that, well, if you want to do this right, you've got to go back to your, your integrated system. So you've got your animals, you've got your permaculture orchard, you've got your garden, peren- uh, peren- and focus it on perennial crops so it's least maintenance, but also add to it open source equipment such as your tractor, combine, uh, agricultural spader for preparing soil, paying equipment, everything that's needed for an integrated operation. Like maybe a long time ago, people would grow their own food. Well, right now, 
I believe you can do that as well if you have the, the equipment base. But if you got that, once again, if you got this off the commercial market, you simply cannot keep up with the maintenance cost of your equipment. So an integrated operation today becomes pretty much impossible, and then you've got the market basically producing monocrops uh, as the main main way to do this. So, so this, the setting of of having communities with total total 100% year-round diets that's a total reality. But as I as I said, we're developing open source technologies to make that really feasible because we found out ourselves that um, things break down. Like we already had experiences with tractors and combines that broke. And we simply weren't. We said no. We're not gonna. We're not gonna mess with fixing these things because they're meant to break like that and they're complicated. So we talk about instead absolute simplicity of design, lifetime design, design for disassembly, interchangeable parts, so that you have a really a Lego set of real technology, life-size Lego set or life-size erector set of right. modular technology with interchangeable parts, which is what we're building with, for example, the, the tractor right now. Yeah, I remember that actually. It was very impressive that you made your, your tractor that way. And uh, most of the Venus Project designs that Jacques talks about, he actually builds everything that way, where it's, mm -hmm. or at least designs it that way anyway, you know, where it's all interchangeable. It's also easy mm -hmm. to replace and upgrade things because everything's designed to be easy to work on. I mean, he talks about how, for example, the service industry um, designs automobiles in such a way that it's very difficult to work on them. And in some cases, I remember uh, well, my friend had a car that he had uh, an engine that he couldn't even get to without a special part that only was only mm -hmm. sold to mechanics. You know, and yeah. basically it's like things are not designed with like trying to fix them in mind. I mean, I remember trying to change my alternator once. The damn thing is like just in a spot that you can't get to. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's just that's an example of uh, how they make sure that they make their money. Um, now, mm -hmm. One of my uh, panelists had a question for you, so uh, Jamie, yeah. you have the floor. Mm -hmm. Oh well, it was more of a personal thing. I, I'm, I live in Missouri also, and I oh, didn't really? know that this was in Missouri, so I was a little curious mm -hmm. about where exactly. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, we're about an, an hour north of Maysville, north of uh, Kansas City in Maysville. Where are um, you? I'm I'm near St. Louis, so that's a yeah. quite a ways for me, but mm -hmm. still. So, I, that's amazing. I didn't expect that. I thought you guys were um, in New Zealand or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought you guys were in Europe too. Did you guys have a, a project in Europe originally, or am I just misinterpreting? That was actually that was a whole tour that we went to in, in Austria, where one of the people from the Global Villages they organized a, a tour throughout Austria. As part of the, I, we presented at at the Linz Counterculture Fair countercultural technology fair and um, it was a great event and then we ended up meeting a lot of people but yeah there was a lot of blog posts on that maybe that's why you you uh, thought we were from Europe or something but right right well um go ahead Chidi. no I was actually going to ask a question from chat but oh yeah that's yeah go ahead you can go ahead and read it then oh well, um, somebody from chat was asking um, what you think of low-tech versus high-tech solutions do you think, mm -hmm. are you more in favor of high-tech, low-tech, or a combination of the two? Yeah, a combination. I mean, you you, um, you got to use the tools that are available to you. And the way we approach it, uh, we love to see both. For example, um, just got an eight-pound mall for splitting wood. 
okay, that's great. I do want to use it. I also want to use a tractor, an advanced tractor that can prepare my fields for me or do all kinds of uh, utility duties like building with a compressed earth brick press. You want to have the best equipment because that's the only way you're going to get past scarcity. So the, the thought in mind there is that today we're still competing with, if you may, we're competing like if we're about to create or if we're working on a transformative movement, we have to be competitive with what else is out there. And therefore, yes, you do want to use advanced technology. However, don't add the stuff that's associated with advanced technology, like the complexity, environmental destruction, whatever negative aspects technology has, everything can be done right, we believe. You see, so for example, part of the developments that we're going to do is the tractor that we have. The next step for us on that is to run it on a steam engine, run off pelletized biomass. So, okay, that's that's essentially the, the equivalent of petroleum-based fuels, but we're getting them right from our fields here, and we're using engines, steam engines, modern versions of that, that actually can use electronic controls that... Uh, that we can uh, use the fuel with. So uh, you want to use all the things that you have. And tools are tools, and and you can use them either in a good way or a bad way. So it's up it's up to up to people to to start doing it the right way. And right now, I think most people have the misconception that if you, you know, you're doing advanced technology, that you can't do it cleanly or um, without environmental destruction. I don't think that's true. Like, for example, to give you an example, we believe that we can also smelt aluminum from clay. So clay is abundant. It's everywhere. You know, you can do, if you have energy, say solar energy, you can create uh, aluminum out of local resources too. So, I mean, there's no limits to the, to the resources. There's no limits to, there are no material limits. There are no energy limits, just like um, the sun shines 10,000 times more power on the sun in the day that, well, the sun shines 10,000 times more power over the year than we use in, in our entire uh, fossil fuel economy, those kinds of deals. Um, so the short answer is you want to use all the tools you have because, especially because they can also be done right as well. And if you talk about simpler technology, yeah, there's plenty of simple things that um, you want to do. I mean, use the right tool for the right job. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, you, you, you know, it kind of depends on what's most practical. In some cases, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, when you're talking about high-tech versus low-tech, you were talking about vehicles, like cars, for example. There's a lot of junk that's put in a car nowadays that's supposed to enhance it, but it turns out to be the stuff that breaks, up, you know, breaks down. Mm -hmm. you know, and, I mean, like electrical systems in cars, for example, I mean, I'm not saying we should get rid of all of them because they do have some useful you know, like purposes, but... I remember one time trying to figure out what was wrong with the electrical system in my Ford, and it ended up being a $2 part. But by the time they found the $2 part, they had replaced like three dozen things. You know, mm, I spent yeah. like $600 trying to find this you know, $2 part. And mm -hmm. you know, so that's, yeah, you, it, it kind of really depends on what's most practical, I think. I mean, honestly, is it really the best point there? Now, um, Dark Dancer had a question, so go ahead. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Neil. Uh, hello, Martin. Nice to work with yes. and meet you. Um, I have a different type of question for you, since you are part of a movement called the 
open source ecology movement. My um, question would be, um, how how do you um, make a global structure? Because if you take a look at the Venus Project and the Zeitgeist movement, like we're also a movement and have uh, ambitions to spread awareness about our ideas. And I'm kind of wondering how you uh, are looking at spreading your ideas and what kind of methods are you using currently to spread the ideas of the open open source ecology movement? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, the bottom line to all of our work is uh, product releases, actually, because the real proof of what we do in terms of developing infrastructures for living sustainably is, well, are you producing real products? So, so for example, November 1st, we're releasing the compressed earth brick press, which will be uh, a product. Well, we've done prototypes, and we're currently working on automation to make that an automatic brick press, but a high-performance one, we're releasing that. And um, by that, we, we will demonstrate that the open source model of development, which means that you're developing things with collaborative global development. Uh, we're going to show that that's actually viable for hardware, that that, that actually can can earn earn a living. And we expect a lot of publicity coming out of that. So so we continue our regular online presence on the blog to to get um, get the word out there. And of course, we've got number of collaborators collaborators uh, all over the place so it's a slow process where um, just by doing things um, we're able to then get it get out into the media like I mean we have been featured in for example you know wired magazine blog and so forth those kinds of things um, we do expect that from from the product release that we have, we'll get major publicity and, and major newspapers and things like that. And we've got some people on the team that are working on the PR aspect. So, um, and then looking for collaboration at all times. So the point is that right here, I mean, there's there's different ways to approach this. One one way is on site right here in our our research lab, our 30-acre facility. Uh, we do what's called dedicated project visits, where people write up a proposal, and we work on some of the topics along the, the Global Village construction set technology items. So uh, everything related to, to the infrastructure for these new settlements. So um, we want to scale this up by by building an infrastructure where people can actually come here and become developers. So that way, uh, the, the development process itself will, will increase. Because the point is right now, I mean, we're in development phase, so the key items are, are development of products. But down the road, in, the, in a few years, we aim to replicate like mad. It's, I mean, if we have the, the super low cost, infrastructure that we can we can build we know how it works it's open source and documented and tested then we what we do is aim to spread this uh, this to actual building of real facilities elsewhere so that's the replication process whether we're involved directly or other people 
come here for training on various topics of production or global village design and all that. Um, the formula is to get out there <laughs> by all channels possible. And, and the thing I want to ask with respect to the Zeitgeist movement is about collaboration. We, we really want to ask out of this, perhaps this conference call, is who wants to come out here to be one of the developers where where we live, where we're living and testing our our technologies, we're eating our own dog food in a business sense, so to say, and we're it's um, it's a pioneering effort. It's, it's a hard it's a hard deal. It's it's not easy here, and now that we we're pretty much uh, optimizing our ability to build with a compressed earth brick press and a tractor and other equipment, uh, we do have a a plan of doing a lot of uh, just building up our facility quite a bit next year so so we, we are looking forward to, to some major building to to accommodate more people because right now we're pretty primitive here we've got internet but in the winter the water is going to freeze over because <laughs> we still haven't gotten that right yet you know, things like that just um, pioneering the way to to this in this future so so for anyone who's interested please do contact us and and let us know, but also at the same time recognize that this um, the the village has to be built. It's not in any way built. It's uh, you can say we're a three-year-old baby, and um, but we are expanding, and and we ask for people to who are really interested. This is a great opportunity to to live out some of the things that are talked about in the zeitgeist and so forth. Absolutely. Um, if uh, somebody else on the call had a question, go ahead. Otherwise, I was going to continue. Oh, no, I just wanted to add, like, uh, currently there are a lot of people, since the, the Zeitgeist movement is, is very much in its infancy as well, like you mm -hmm. said, all is still underway with your project and your movement as well. So, as such, that's the same case with the Zeitgeist movement. And actually, there are a lot of people currently that are um, quite hurt, oh, sorry, they they feel quite an urge to do something, so uh, I think that we definitely could collaborate and find people who do live in the area. Since I myself live in the Netherlands, so that would be a little problematic. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, some people in the region would definitely be willing to do this. I've heard uh, talks about this on our voice chat uh, server where we host most of the meetings that people really do have the urge to do. Um, activities that are very much in line with your project. So, yes, mm -hmm. I, I do think that this could be a effective collaboration. And uh, mm -hmm. you'll go on. Well, um, I was just gonna first of all, you know, just kind of ask you uh, to, to, you know, first of all, you know, just based on what you just stated. Um, obviously, yeah, we definitely want to get you know people from the Zeitgeist movement involved in what you're doing. Um, and so. What kind of, first of all, what kind of areas of expertise are you looking for? Is there anything in specific? I mean, obviously you're going to need all the help you can get, but is there anything you guys really need right now? Uh, uh, specific credentials, for example, certain you know, educational tools for, you know, do people have certain educations that you're currently lacking? Yeah, well, I mean, right now there's two people here right now, and um, our background is science and engineering. Now, the real deal for, for building a lot of this in, infrastructure it's, means any topics related to 
to food, energy, housing, technology. I mean, a lot of it is engineering work. A lot of it is design, fabrication, um, computer design, everything in in agriculture. Uh, a lot. It seems that a lot of the the work. I mean, it's really really a lot of engineering style work. I mean, because what we're doing right now is. Um, getting the tools out there for for creating new economies and that's I mean that's really an engineering effort so so largely it's it's a lot of engineering skills that that are required but I mean um, that's I mean that's for the physical work that gets done on the ground but also at the same time there's the whole organizational aspect and uh, resource development aspect and everything else publicity PR like for one one thing that we're going to liven up again is our 501c3 status. We kind of let it, the, the nonprofit organization status, we're going to liven that up and raise raise resources that way because what we did last year and just about almost a year ago now, uh, beginning of this year, we started this campaign called Thousand True Fans, Thousand Global Villages where we're asking people to subscribe for two years to support our work at $10 a month. And... We only got about 40 people on that so far. We were hoping to, to get it like a thousand within the year, but we're no way near that. So now we found that well, it's not easy to get support from people. So we want to get get the nonprofit sector back up because we want to. I mean, we we need the resources to do that. We were we were hoping that well, ideologically and practically, since since we believe in a in a world system much beyond the present system of government. Um, we weren't excited about the, the nonprofit work, but yeah, I think we're going to go back in there and set that up again. Well, it so, is it is I mean, really tough because unfortunately, most of the people who know there's a problem are the ones who are not very financially well off. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's there's a lot of catches, a lot of a lot of different challenges. But um, yeah, definitely. Now, I guess my next question would then be, you know, where should they go to? Uh, First of all, to get involved, you know, directly, and, and if they want to yeah. support you guys, where should they go? Yeah, if you go to the the, the wiki, just go to openfarmtech.org, or the best place, the most organized place is openfarmtech.org/weblog, and on top of that, you can link to to our wiki, to the donate donate page, or subscribe to the True Fans. Uh, that's all linked from the weblog, and. Um, as far as getting involved, what we found out that works the best is, is the dedicated project visit. Since the kind of development that we need is really technical and, and it's not a thing you can just walk in like a hippie in the woods and, and expect things to get done. I mean, it, it's serious business to get um, you know, the tools and techniques and designs of a working community. So what we're doing is, is looking for people for what we call the dedicated project visits. So. If you just search that on the, if you go to the blog and just go search dedicated project visits, you can read more about it. But basically, it's um, we're getting people here on a month-by-month -month basis. Uh, like for example, Lawrence, uh, he he's on a dedicated project visit to the, to develop the torch table, and he's in his second month. So we write a proposal together. We go over it, make sure that that the goals. And deliverables are clear for for what the goals are. So we're we're basically running it kind of like a like a research lab, 
uh, or a project where people have a very good idea of what they want to do when they come here because um, I mean, we don't really have the resources to, to teach people too much or, or to babysit people. Uh, people have to pretty much come, come in with, with a good skill set to make this work. But the bottom line is the dedicated project visits. You can look it up. Um, look, look for more information on the web blog. Just search for dedicated project visits, and that will come up in the blog post describing what that, that's more, more, more of what that's about. Now, in addition, obviously, to engineers, I mean, do you still need like craftsmen and such, uh, you know, metal workers? Uh, oh yeah. That nature. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's, it's. It's everything, really. I mean, um, like like for metal workers or welders. I mean, right now, as we're getting into product release, we we could absorb people who are doing fabrication work, and that would be a you know they can support themselves doing that and maybe earn money for to support the movement as well. Uh, lots of different lots of different opportunities in many different different areas and basically it de de depends on the person and, and really initiative because um, right now I mean I'm, I'm busy full-time doing development work on a CEB press and other all the other agricultural equipment right now because we want to get the agricultural side out of the way so master the, the ability to produce our food and to build housing those are our first goals so um, Given, I mean, we're we're short on resources. What we, the only thing we can do is is absorb people that that propose something concrete. But that could be any anything. I mean, think about anything that makes a makes a good village. Raising chickens, doing our goat there. I mean, we've got chickens and goats here. The goats, for example, we need to can do a, a really effective milking operation to get get milk and cheese and all kinds of things. We we do have chickens. We can raise that those numbers quite a bit. I mean, we we worked on an open source chicken incubator. We didn't finish that yet. I mean, that's a project that's um, waiting to be done. Um, orchard, permaculture, everything, and the organizational aspects. Uh, as far as crafts, yeah, I mean, there's uh, furniture is a part of the deal, too, of course. I mean, it's everything. Excellent. Um, now, I have a question first from our chat room, and then I have another, mm -hmm. and then one of our panelists also wants to ask you another question. But the first yeah. question is just, um, what, what, um, how are you deciding what project you want to work on next? Basically, what, what goes into the decision-making project, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, process of deciding, okay, well, now we're going to build a tractor. Now we're going to build a press. You know, basically, you know, do you guys just get together and kind of talk about it? Or, I mean, are you, is there a plan? Um, well, first of all, you can read the proposal that was, written, that was, I think, two years ago, uh, OSC proposal. Um, if you go on the wiki, you can just search under OSC proposal. But it's about a 100-page document that, that describes how the technology base works and basically goes into how the products were selected. And uh, basically, there's 40 items selected by by the fact that these are important things for society. I mean, we're talking just basics. You've got your fuels, you got your housing, you got your food. I mean, all these items we just take, uh, basically select to a minimal, minimal set that's sufficient to create a society. And right now, when we're in this game, in real life, 
you basically go on by the need. So, I mean, the tractor really came about and kind of became a hit, our first kind of major hit, um, because the tractors that we were using kept breaking. I mean, in practice, I spent, before I got onto LifeTrack, I spent $2,000 on the clutch, which went out within a month from from getting fixed. So, so I said, no more of this slavery. <laughs> we're going to take care of our uh, master our own technology. So, so a lot of it comes out of out of need. So now, if it's the tractor, um, we need to build infrastructure for our people. So we're we're doing the the CEB press, compressed earth brick press, the supporting equipment for that, and the sawmill. And the next steps are, are the other things that, that we need here, like like we need some energy. We've got limited energy right now, enough to really support two people in a workshop. Now we've got solar panels, which we got donated, but we want to get to um, actually a steam engine for combined heat power and combined with a solar energy concentrator. So kind of go along by the need. And, and now, for example, we're doing torch table because the torch table will be used to produce the CB presses and tractors. So it kind of evolves pretty organically, but as I said, we, we kind of go um, priority by priority, and I think the first is food and housing and energy and fabrication. Those are the main main areas right now. So computer-controlled fabrication, digital fabrication, uh, that kind of stuff. But basically, um, I my priority my priority is the CB press and tractor product releases by the end of the year and if there are people coming here they can add whatever project they can take care of so so it really depends on the people as as i said we're limited on on resources so it's um whatever it's kind of an organic process where whoever shows up uh, that's that's what ends up being being done mhm mm now, I, I do have one more from the chat room that I'm going to let uh, Dark Dancer go next. Uh, people are wondering just, you know, like, how is it that if you, if you are part of an open source movement, how do you prevent somebody else from patenting your ideas and uh, you know, basically stealing them? Um, what is the laws involved with that? Well, um, there's really, as far as we know, there's, there's no, no open source license, a really good, good one for hardware. There's... There's the GPL for for software, and there's others. Basically, copy, some some form of copyleft where you where you dictate that whoever uses your your products or your designs will contribute improvements back to the the public domain or the Commonwealth that anyone can use. Now, as far as personally, I'm my opinion on that is that there's so much invention that can happen, and that Personally, I'm not too concerned about it because the bottom line is that you can you only need to have something that is enough. You don't need to keep adding bells and whistles to this. So, for example, with the CB press, uh, as a particular example, hey, if that thing can produce five to ten bricks per minute, okay, that's enough to build effective housing for for yourself for for villages. So we don't, I mean, personally, I'm not really concerned about what, um, what kind of bells and whistles, like if someone wants to steal it and patent it, they can't, first of all, because, because it's already published. So um, there's that inherent safety check right there. And if we talk about the resource-based economy, for real, 
uh, I think there's a level where it's simply enough. And once you attain that, um, you're good. You're good enough. And and say you want to. I mean, products will evolve over time all the time. So I also believe that. I mean, there's just so many different ways that that a product can be changed. That um, I think creativity beats beats anything that someone that that can be patented. And the other part about that is, if we're developing integrated economies for uh, for settlements, we don't really care about what. Uh, I mean, along the lines of transition, you know, transforming the economy. If we're able to create uh, a settlement that's that's self-sufficient in just about anything it needs, you don't care if someone patents it because you can always produce it for yourself. You see, the patents don't cover don't cover production for your your own needs. They only cover commercial production. So in the in the future economy, that becomes totally irrelevant. The the game's game is totally different. So um, that's that's an answer to that question. But to begin with, of course, the the stuff that I've done already and just can't be patented because it's it's already published. And a lot of the stuff that we're working on, I mean, there's a lot of it is not patentable. We're just integrating and open sourcing technologies more than inventing anything. It's like everything has, I mean, in some way has been invented already. I mean, that's not true, but in one way, all the tools that we need to to live right, they're out there already, and it's it's about using them, selecting the right ones, and knowing how to take take care of them, and um, befriending your technology, really. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I want to take a moment to uh, once again, because we have a lot of new listeners coming on. Um, welcome uh-huh. once again to V Radio, um, and uh, you basically are now listening to the interview with um, Marchin from the Open Source Ecology Movement. Um, you can check them out at openfarmtech.org. Is that correct? Yeah, openfarmtech.org slash weblog. Slash weblog. Got it. Um, Now, um, Dark Dancer, you had a question. Go ahead. Yeah, correct. Thank you, uh, Neil. Um, I had a different uh, type of question, and I was wondering, within your research that you're doing now, as you said, you're uh, developing and uh, researching all the time, uh, and I wondered whether you are taking like other continents into account as well, because the the kind of plan you are developing right now, you're doing in an environment, uh, North America, which mm-hmm. is a continent with uh, its own type of resource allocation. But if you take, for example, Africa or Asia, would your plan fit within that within that picture as well, or would you uh, be needing to um, add a lot of uh, added research to make uh, a plan like that work like there? In essence, the, the tools and technologies are so general that they can be applied in most places. Like, for example, the, the CEB, the compressed earth brick press, is viable where, wherever there's clay subsoil. Now, that's just about everywhere on Earth, except maybe the Arctic, where you can't get to the, to the, to the Earth. <laughs> so that's a very general technology. The solar turbine, the solar, what we call the solar concentrators, solar thermal concentrator for electric power, that's doable right here too. We just have enough sun. Uh, it's doable all over the tropics. It's doable in the temperate regions. We're trying to get the price of that low enough that it becomes feasible. But therefore, that that means it's doable anywhere there's sun. 
So that's another very general uh, technology. Uh, steam power or biofuel pellets, um, biomass, anywhere. You can talk about um, creating pellets to run in steam engines to, to run all kinds of power devices and mobile and stationary. So cars, tractors, energy production, uh, wherever there's biomass. So, so biomass, steam engine, electrical generation, or, or uh, power for vehicles. I mean, not anywhere. So, so the short answer is a lot of the stuff we're doing is, is applicable anywhere. And, of course, local ad adaptations can be done, and that's what we hope with the nature of the open source project. People take that work and, and make it more suitable for their for their particular conditions as well. They, yeah. and the plans plans are open source, so they can be adapted by many different people. That's that's very clear. And uh, I had I had an additional uh, question. See, since you've been talking about different types of energy, what I was mm -hmm. wondering, and you're a physicist, sorry, I've, but never mind. I can't pronounce that word at this hour. <laughs> I'm sorry. But uh, have you been looking into geothermal energy as well, and how you would be mm -hmm. able to harvest it? Uh huh. You asking how we'll be able to harvest it? Have, do you have in, uh, any ideas about it? Since this is one of the alternate energy sources proposed by the Venus Project. Yeah. No, we haven't. As far as geothermal, I haven't looked at that much at all because. Our program focuses on fuels, biofuels, and solar energy. So, uh, also wind as well. But no, can't tell you much about it because we haven't done really, really any development work on it. Yeah, there's um, actually a gentleman I think you should meet about the biofuel thing. He uh, he converts diesel engines into uh, vegetable oil engines. You know, an oil that people basically give away as waste. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he uses to power his cars. I'm sure you've probably heard of it. I had a guy, you know, on recently, you know, a really, a really entertaining interview because he told me about yes, it. Yes, yes. No, um, absolutely. We we ran our suburban on straight vegetable oil here for some time. Then we moved on to biodiesel. But both of these, I think, are just patches. Right, uh, they are. We're talking about um, a very scarce resource like oil which is a small fraction of a plant. Mm -hmm. So for biomass, if you can make biomass um, available as a fuel, you're talking about the whole plant. So, for example, here, from a sustainably grown grass crop, you can get about 4,000 pounds per acre per year. And that means well, it's about 500 gallons of liquid fuel equivalent per acre. So you're talking about potentially mainstreamable fuel sources, not like biodiesel or oil, which which are very scarce. So uh, for the biomass route, I mean, that's actually a pretty exciting thing because, I mean, here, I mean, I'm looking out my window right now and I see all this, all these weeds, all this grass that's been unmowed that neighbors complain about, but I see, I see a fuel crop there and we're actually going to be getting a pelletizer pretty soon and we're going to start cranking out pellets to burn for a steam engine. And the steam engine is something we're going to be working on uh, early next year. So an abundant energy source. Now, just to um, kind of tell you about the transition there in our thinking, we were talking a lot about pyrolysis oil before, but after I attended, which is a destructive distillation of any biomass to get 
up to they they claim to get up to 75% yields of this pyrolysis oil from biomass crops. Well, that's a small refinery, you know, it's it's doable, but why why go that complicated if you can get the same with uh, pellets if you have an external combustion engine to burn them. So this is one of these things where you're really mixing old technology, new ideas to make it feasible today. Um, once again, if, um, if you do a modern version of a steam engine, which is what, what we're actually working on, they're as effective as, as internal combustion engines. I mean, most people wouldn't know about that, but that's real. And after coming back from the Steam Club of America, Steam Automobile Club of America meeting, I, I found that, wow, this is for real. There's people driving all kinds of cars burning wood. Uh, well, just just a very few people, but uh, we want to develop that for for pellet fueled transportation as a potentially uh, important fuel source for for cars. And we're going to do that. We're going to be doing that starting next year here. Excellent. Well, you know, you're you're definitely on the right track when you consider that the man who designed the diesel engine had designed it intending that farmers would be able to farm their own fuels for their tractors. Yeah, um, and it's just it's something that they got away from because there was just so much money to be made, you know, forcing these farmers to buy it from somebody else. Um, mm -hmm. And that's actually what got the uh, the veg powered guy, uh, the the veg powered systems guy, I had in my previous interview to, to check it out. As he was reading about it, he's like, "Oh, wait a minute," you know, and he he basically looked at the diesel engine. He's like, "Have they done anything to the diesel engine to make it so that it can't run on this stuff anymore?" And he found out, no, they hadn't. You know, he actually just went mm -hmm. out to its own diesel. I guess it was a boat engine that he had, you know, that was already not really doing so well, so he wasn't worried about damaging it, and he found out that uh, he could, in fact, just run it on straight vegetable oil. He just got a bottle of Wesson and threw it in there. But, yeah, you know, biofuel, as you pointed out, you know, it, it works fine on, a, you know, on, on the scale for, like, personal use and such. Um, there, there have been some concerns about people trying to mass produce it, but on a, on a more personal level, certainly, especially, like you said, with grass and weeds, that's another thing that, I don't think that people recognize is that if we switch to that kind of bio biofuel, it's a lot better to be using that stuff than it is to try to say turn corn or some kind of food into it. Um, yeah. So um, now we have another person here who's asking. Uh, first of all, um, do you have anybody working on? I'm sorry, I lost the question. Do you have anybody working on a water or sewage treatment facilities? At your, you know, in your project, anything to that effect? Um, we've considered a little bit about biofilter plant biofilter bio for for wastewater treatment, but right now we're we're just using actually composting toilets here, so we haven't gotten much into that. We we did talk about the living machines quite a bit before, but um, we might get to that sometime down the road, but it's it's just not right now. It's it's not a priority right now because um, that is a highly engineered system and, and we'll get to it, but it's not right now yet. Now, um, do you guys give tours of your facilities? Do you hold lectures of any sort? You know, would you take visitors? Yeah, actually, uh, since our time is precious, we're actually charging for tours here. We do take people on tours. They're we're just charging fifty dollars for any first-time visitor for our time, but um, yeah, people come here like you know once a week or something. On average, someone shows up. Um, but to find out more about that, you can you can on the wiki you can go to Visit Factor E Farm, so you can search for that. 
Um, but before that, yeah, become familiar. Well, just just look at that on the wiki there. Now, I mean, I, I remember hearing uh, actually in one of your videos that you said that the people who sponsor your project, like the people who are part of that um, dedicated, uh, yeah, people, the you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a number of true fans. The once again, the people who are supporting us, um, who subscribe to support us at ten dollars for the mo month for two years. Those are our true fans. Yeah, they can visit anytime as well. Excellent, excellent. Um, now, uh, you know, we've definitely covered a lot of ground so far, and I'm glad you know, we're making this uh, this effort, definitely. Now, um, I know you had talked a little bit about possibly getting involved in the in the zeitgeist movement you know, locally where you're at. Have you had an yeah. opportunity to talk to anybody about that yet? Or? Oh, I haven't yet. I, all I've seen is that there's a chapter in Kansas City, so if there's anyone listening, <laughs> let me know. But, yeah, I, I would like to uh, find out more about that and meet with these people or invite them to come out here check out what we've got. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, um, maybe you can help them with that later, Chibi, since you're in that state anyway. Yeah, they're actually the leader of that chapter is listening right now. So. Oh, yeah? Excellent, excellent. Well, <laughs> I wish people would call in. You guys are all chickens. You're asking questions in the chat room. It's not like we're going to bite you. But, yeah, <laughs> please uh, take an opportunity to call in if you, would, if you have the courage. It's 347-945-7747. I also posted in the chat room, if you're really bashful, I'll continue to read your questions out of the chat room, but we do like callers here on V-Radio. Mm -hmm. um, so um, once again, we're talking to, uh, now I, I actually, I remember your, your Skype name actually says PhD. What, what is your PhD in? It's in physics, actually, in plasma physics. So at some point I thought that fusion energy would be a way to save the world. <laughs> well, uh, that was the running joke about it is, when are we going to have fusion? Uh, they ask, well, in 10 years. It, it always was and it always will be. So, I mean, that's it's one of those things where uh, maybe someday they will do it, but it's, it's, a, it's a very complicated thing. And, and if we have the sun, solar energy that's, providing us so much energy that we're not tapping, let's look seriously into doing that first. So, so my thinking has really shifted from, um, from the PhD program. And I must add to that that there was a huge, huge conflict of interest for me. Like about the second year of the PhD program, like about one year into it, I started finding out about all the other stuff, about how the world works, the, the zeitgeist movement type of stuff, about sustainability, economics, and all of that stuff. And I really wanted to quit the program because I saw that that wasn't where we were going in the mainstream education system and because that system is not designed to solve the problems. So, But I did finish anyway because I thought it would be a good idea. Uh, and after that, I found out that, that those letters after my name don't get me any respect in the work I do anyway. But sometimes people get impressed, though. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's still good. I know Jacques, for example, um, you know, he uh, never actually, Mr. Jacques Presco never really had like a lot yeah. of formal education either. But the funny thing is, is neither did Einstein. And uh, what we were talking about earlier was Thomas Edison was homeschooled. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, these are actually great minds that you know, we probably never would have had if they had actually stuck around yeah. in the mainstream yeah. education system. And you were definitely right on when you talk about solving problems. Now, we actually have a caller, so I'm going to bring them on the air, this courageous individual from the 913 area code. Um, 
caller from the 913 area code. You're on the air. Hi, this is Marcus. I uh, run the Kansas City uh, chapter of the Zeitgeist Movement. So I have been oh, excellent. thinking, you know, wondering about writing the email. I wanted to wait till after the show today to get a little more yeah. information, but definitely would like to visit since I'm so close. Yeah, yeah. It's opensourceecology at gmail.com for the email, so shoot okay. me one. And make sure you definitely do that. We've got to get this, this kind of thing together. I mean, this is something the Zeitgeist Movement has been looking for forever, and you guys are the lucky ones who happen to be sitting right next to such a project. It, it does fit in very perfectly, yeah, it seems so far. Yeah. Definitely. I'll definitely check that out, but as far as, you know, I've checked out your visitor page and all of that. I don't think I have really a skill set to bring, but just as in visiting to see what you do, that would be great to see it firsthand. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. You know, I remember in the videos, you guys had a lot of people that were doing stuff that didn't necessarily require any skill sets, just like, you know, putting dirt in, you know, boxes and stuff for your bricklayers mm -hmm. and all that. I mean, there's got to be yeah. stuff that unskilled people can help you with when the time Oh, yeah, comes. absolutely, absolutely. And for that, it's a matter of, of timing. Like, for example, if we're, I mean, we are going to actually build a, a simple demo structure out of CEB using the new press that, that we're actually preparing today for for field work, like we're we're looking at doing that in a couple of days, actually. But yeah, it's the schedule is pretty erratic. You know, you can't really predict a lot of things. But but sometimes we do have field days and work days and so forth. So those are definitely opportunities to come out too. Excellent, excellent. Um, thank you for calling in. Um, did you have any questions for the for the guest? Um, I was actually talking you, to the caller. What are you? Marcus, you, as far as you can ask him too. Go ahead. <laughs> Marcus, I mean, what is? Can you sum, summarize what the action in Kansas City is? Is it? Are there well, any meetings or? We actually started way back last December, and to my surprise, we had quite a big sh uh, turnout for our first meeting. Since then, however, interest has waned. We've probably been through probably oh. 20 people, so we do have a small dedicated group, and they are still connected to everybody else in a way. So I think once something mm -hmm. gets going, people will be more willing to join in. Mm -hmm. yeah, kind of well, maybe, I mean, now you have something like this near you, your local chapter will spark up more. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. maybe. I mean, and that's and one of the things I noticed is that it's like, and nobody's really necessarily lost interest, but they don't focus on it as much because it's kind of like, okay, well, I'll spread the word as much as I can. Now what? You know, <laughs> and so you guys have the, the lucky opportunity to have a what right there in your hands, you know, with these people who are developing this open source technology. Um, so Agreed. now that we have that out there, you know, did you have any further questions for, the, uh, for our guest, uh, Marcus? Not at this time. Excellent. Well, you can either stay on the call or continue listening from Blog Talk. That's totally up to you. Um, and uh, I will, you know, I'll just leave your mic open if you have any comments. But um, in any case, uh, now, Chibi, you said you had been saving up some questions, so go ahead and take the floor and um, hit them up. Uh, I feel like I forgot some of them now, actually. I was just thinking of them, but I, just comments here and there. One thing um, was way back with Dark Dancer when you were talking about, uh, when he was asking you some questions about what you guys are doing, and what I'm noticing is just that this is really, it really does go hand in hand, but what the Zeitgeist Movement is really about, at least right now, I mean, we talk about technology, we talk about all these sustainable cities and things like that, but at this point, it's really an education movement. It's not, you know, the people that are in this, not a whole lot of people with skill sets. We're not, we're not actually going out, doing groundwork, building stuff like you guys are. 
so it's kind of like you're the other, um, I mean, and there's other groups like yours that are doing this sort of things, and it's like the other half of that in a way, I, I feel. Mm -hmm. And you really need both, I think. I mean, we're more focused on the social aspect of, of the change, I think, in, in some senses. And then there's, but of course you need the technology there to go with it. So it goes pretty yeah. well. What's the, as far as you guys, I mean, what's the strategy? Because what I've observed is that, you know, um, well, back in you know at, at college, I did a lot of organizing and things like that, and and that kind of stuff got old to me because you know we have these nice workshops like you know building a solar dehydrator or some other workshop, and then people go back on Monday work to work for the man again, and they forget <laughs> totally about what what they were talking about. So how do you? I mean, what are the steps to bridge bridge the gap? Because I mean, you can talk about it. But how do people actually get involved or or take oh. the next step? There's that's that question could go on forever. There's so many yeah. ways to look at yeah. it, but I think that's why the social part is so important as well. Because not just I mean, the technology is extremely important to make us be able to do these things, and yet if there's no awareness or or social change to go with it, it's kind of all for shit. So uh, this is really about educating people in, in, in a social way where they, they look at things holistically from not just the technology and the car they drive and stuff like that, but also how they relate to other people or society and view politics, yeah. things like that. They have to yeah. sort of, you know, it sort of uh, can change a person all around, not just knowing about a piece of technology per se and also not just thinking about some sort of political issue, but putting it all together and kind of changing your entire person. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely powerful. What kind of results have you guys seen so far that, as far as people waking up, so to say? Well, that's actually something um, I wanted to point out was that um, it, when you focus on the social aspect a little bit, that's something that people can get behind. It has kind of a, a feeling almost like a, a political activist movement. You know, I mean, I, that's where I came from. My energy that came from political activism went into the Venus Project and the Zeitgeist movement. And mm -hmm. what, what ends up happening is, like, you know, when you have, like, you know, a film like Zeitgeist of Denim is very compelling. A lot of, you know, uh, listening to Jacques Fresco's lectures are very compelling. And that's what drives people to, to be interested in the work. Like, I can tell you right now, if I lived, like, down the street from you guys, I'd be, I'd be at your site every day, you know, cracking out as much as I could, you know, because I would enjoy it. And if you remember, one of the things we talked about in our call is that the Zeitgeist Movement has made an interest in these things that was never there before. Like I was telling mm -hmm. you, like, these people who, who listen to my radio show or watch my TV show um, likely would have never even cared about things like solar power or hydroponic farming or any of that. And then, like, you know, you, you see the transformation, and, and once people realize, wow, this is so important, it has to go beyond just also it's like, you know, there's other motives. Like, you know, I want to get rid of crime. I want to get rid of war. Well, the best way to do that is not just by waving signs, you know, in front of politicians who don't care anyway. It's by doing, you know, eliminating the causes of these behaviors. You know, and mm -hmm. after people recognize that, you know, and if they really look at it, that's, I think, what motivates people to work. I mean, I've got, you know, people we talk, you know, on the Ventrilo channel constantly, you know, people like Thunder, for example, unfortunately cannot be on today, but he's like, man, I just want to go somewhere and do something. I, I want to you know, put a shovel in the dirt. That's why I keep saying that. I want to put a hammer on a nail. You know, what, what do we do? Let's go. You know, and what gets people all fired up is, is really about the fact that this is not just something that we, we should do. It's something we have to do. And I mm -hmm. think that 
the zeitgeist movement concentrating on some of the problems um, is what motivates people to listen to your solution and then be motivated to, to, to participate in the solution. And I think that's one of the reasons why we, you know, one of the main reasons why we took that route. Now, mind you, that what you're doing totally helps what we're doing because, you know, when we get the naysayers or the people who say that it can't be done, we can just point to your work and say, yes, it can. Here it is. You know, check it mm-hmm. out. You know, um, open source, you know, is mostly known, at least in, for me anyway, it's mostly known for things like, you know, software, like the Linux, you know, people. And, um, you know, uh, the, I remember there was open office for example, is the program that people are using now that's totally free, you know, and I, I think that yeah, applying that to living, you know, is an excellent idea, and I think that, you know, what you're going to find is, like, you know, I, for example, I mean, uh, my motives have totally changed, I'm, and I went from somebody who was pretty much just interested in, in writing fiction stories and things of that nature to being somebody who is interested in making a change, and I've even thought about going to school to get a degree in, because now they offer the degrees locally here in Michigan in a alternative energy. You know, I mm-hmm. actually bought a kit that I'm thinking about building solar panels with. This is something I never would have done before I had watched mm-hmm. Zeitgeist Addendum. Yeah, and that's, that's I think, really, um, yeah. you know, where it comes from, is that it's, it's a matter of, you know, okay, yeah, we're doing this, but is it just a science project, or is it something that could possibly save the world? And yeah. especially, you know, if, you can, if it comes up with a way that it's, it's practical in a more simple sense, you know, that's, you know, for example, I mean, if, you know, if we can teach people how to make their own solar arrays and turn off their electric bill, you know, they're going to love that, you know, mm-hmm. and especially for the poor people. I mean, it's, that's what I'm saying is like people like me, for example, I'd love to lower my monthly costs. I mean, as it is already, you know, just to continue doing this radio show, I, I get donations because, you know, my, my financial situation here was so terrible, you know, and I think that's one of the other things, you know, as I was saying earlier, the people who are not doing so well are the ones who realize there's a problem. When, when you're trying to talk to people who are, you know, perhaps in that upper echelon, you know, they're not interested. You know, they're like, well, I like everything the way it is. You know, never mind the fact that, you know, uh, what is it, like 2% of the people own 40% of the wealth or something to that effect. There's a statistic for that, you know, that, you know, millions of children are suffering and dying, you know, of preventable diseases and starvation. You know, that's not important to them. What's important to them is that, you know, they've got their car and their microwave oven and you know and that's and it, it's really about you know that's what that's kind of what the movies like zeitgeist were about was about these are the problems and believe me there are problems people <laughs> this is a problem and then and then they want to know the solution and that's and i think that what you guys are doing is definitely an excellent step in that direction um mm-hmm. and uh, chibi just corrected me apparently it is actually chibi you go ahead and quote that statistic because mm-hmm. well i i thought it was one percent of of the population owns 90% of the wealth, but that's not just talking about cash, it's properties and corporation and everything, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, and go ahead. I I actually did have a question though. Uh, When you were talking about the biomass pellets, uh, like I think same with the veg thing, it's really interesting stuff, but when I'm listening to it, I always kind of feel like it, it feels like a transitional idea in my mind. I'm always thinking, uh, maybe it's just me, but I, I always lean towards electrical engines if if we can get the better batteries out there, of course. But even heavy farm machinery, I believe, can be done fully electric. Um, mm-hmm. it, but I don't think it's something you can do out in you know uh, what you're doing because it takes much more complex development and uh, extremely complex factory to put it together and things like that and it also takes I mean we need better battery technology too but I guess that's where I'm always looking in that direction but I was just kind of wanting to get your opinion on that as opposed to the biomass pellets which are a good idea but I don't 
I don't like that idea as a long-term solution. Yeah. Well, first, uh, right now, from a practical standpoint, you're talking about 10 times more cost for the electric option compared to, to the bio, biomass pellet option. So there's real economics. Now, maybe in the economics of post-scarcity, that becomes feasible, but right now it's, it's not really. Uh, I'm not really sure about um, how, I mean, whether the technology on batteries is being kept kept from kept deliberately away. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there are some hard hard limits to to get get over in terms of range. Now, as far as the um, you're talking about, uh, we we will need much more much more infrastructure, much more complexity to do things like batteries. Well, that's the entire point. We're claiming that on 30 acres here, we can go up to advanced civilization, including all the all the processes that that can make for for advanced fabrication processes. Uh, to give you an example, right now um, the concept of digital fabrication is is quite big. It's taking off, and I mean, especially in the open source world. Um, the concept is that if you have globally shared design, right now you can get access to uh, computer-controlled fabrication processes. It was unimaginable a long time ago on a much, much smaller scale. And that's the kind of process that we're, we're pursuing here. We can, we can definitely do things like build engines, build all kinds of electromechanical equipment. I personally think that down the road, doing things like smelting aluminum or silicon from clay is feasible right here. So you've got the, the Iron Age and Silicon Age doable off local resources if you have access to energy. So energy plus advanced information flows obtained from open source global collaboration and you're talking about advanced civilization on very small parcels and that's where we're going with our 30 acres here i mean we're, we're a three-year-old baby but we've got far to go and just the wonders of things i mean to give you an example of what's feasible today reprap have you guys heard of that no. reprap is a is a 3D open source printer. It can print parts out of plastic right now, and right now it's developing to to print parts from metals, uh, low temperature, low melting temperature metals. So the bottom line is, you can get download open source plans from the internet and build this thing for about $300 in parts. Right. A machine that would cost $10,000 before this. So we're talking about breaking barriers of, of localizability and, and miniaturization of all kinds of technologies. So, so your point is, no, we can, we can do a lot, of, lot more things than people can even imagine. So that's, that's, that's an answer to that question. I actually have seen what you're talking about, the 3D printing yeah. uh, that was demonstrated. Actually, uh, somebody did a, a 3D printout of one of Jacques' models Chibi, you might remember it. They had a little model of one of like the apartment complexes that was actually uh, 3D printed. But yeah, go ahead, Chibi. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and what I meant was simply economically speaking, you wouldn't have the money to, you know, 
do certain things on that 30 acres, but you can, like, what you, everything you said, I agree with them. I just don't think that is sustainable as, say, solar, just pure solar, or maybe add geothermal in, in the mix and wind and certain other things. I don't think biomass is, I mean, to me, you know, even if it's just grass, uh, I don't think that's something we should be farming for, you know, hundreds of years or whatever, just like anything else. I mean, that. Well, it's certainly a step in the right direction as compared to being dependent on oil, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I was just thinking more long term, like in the future, I, I feel like I wouldn't want to rely on that, like, entirely in the future, I guess is what I meant to say. Right. There's other mm -hmm. things to consider when you are growing even just about anything in mass producing in the soil. Now, um, uh, basically, and I've definitely been very happy with the way this discourse has happened, and um, I'm looking forward to, I mean, I know you said you wanted me to participate in a conference call eventually, and I do hope that uh, you guys uh, in the open source movement can come to uh, join us in Venezuela at some point. Um, and uh, now I know that um, we've, you, you've obviously you've had an opportunity to look at some of the things that we were talking about in the Zeitgeist movement. Um, and you, you, let, you said you uh, watched the London lecture. Did you watch the uh, orientation presentation? Yeah, absolutely. Good, mm -hmm. good. Um, and what did you think of that? Awesome. I mean, basically, uh, I mean, we're doing a bunch, basically a lot of the stuff that's, that's being discussed. So it was good to, to know that someone else is pushing forward the, the ideas. And once again, we can be a good, good grounding point for seeing how they can be implemented right now. Yep. And um, once again, everybody, uh, you know, we are taking callers. If you have any questions, um, we have another caller who's still on, actually, from previously. If he has any further questions, by all means, go ahead and interject. The phone number to call in is 347-945-7747. That's 347-945-7747. Once again, the chat room is still active. People are asking where the property is again because we still have new people who are showing up. Um, and uh, we were, yeah, they also uh, basically were kind of asking the same kind of questions that you know, people normally ask the Venus Project, just about how uh, things are governed you know, it, within, your, within your project. Uh, do, do you have a system? Is there any kind of counsel to this, or are there just so few people that it doesn't matter? Uh, right now, we're too small. I mean, we're on the side right here it's two people so those issues don't come up as much yet but that will have to be evolved much more over time excellent well um you know uh now you said that at this point you know you've only had a few of your subscribers but you've managed to secure you know quite a bit to get things started at least you know in comparison to some people that's for sure um you know as far as like some of the projects that we've had um, now, I mean, have, have you ever considered possibly going to visit Jacques Fresco in Venus, Florida? I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to. So how how do we do it? Um, well, basically, it's kind of as easy as picking up the phone and calling them. Their phone number is on the VenusProject.com website. It's mm -hmm. TheVenusProject.com. Um, mm -hmm. I will certainly make sure that the two of you, um, you know, get an opportunity to speak, even if it's just Roxanne on the phone at first, because uh, mm -hmm. like I said earlier, Jacques doesn't do phones um, unless he's mm -hmm. doing the speaker phone. Uh, but um, now you guys said you're in Missouri. Now, as far as like people who may even be willing to consider uprooting and moving closer to your project, 
Um, you know, what is this? What is the living situation like there? I mean, is there a decent economy? Could people, you know, could people feasibly find a job in the local area if they wanted to participate? We're an hour north of Kansas City, so mm-hmm. it's a major metropolitan area. Uh, so yeah, there's that's one option. Excellent. Well, definitely. I mean, because you're in a big city there, I would hope so. Um, now, uh, in, in basically at this point, um. Further questions that have occurred to me is just like, um, what are you guys doing, you know, yourselves just to be able to maintain yourselves throughout all of this? I mean, do you guys still have jobs, obviously, that you're doing to, alongside this to keep things going? Or, you know, how I mean, it is, because I know it's been tough for a lot of us, for example, to continue doing even our activism, you know, with all of the stuff going on in our lives, particularly with the economy the way it is. Yeah, no, this is, this is my life here. So the way we support this is, one is our costs are low, mm-hmm. and the second part is just donations, basically crowdsourced donations. Like, for example, if, if we were, like last year we built our workshop out of compressed earth bricks that we pressed ourselves with our machine, mm-hmm. uh, we collected a total of about $4,000 to build that facility. So basically it's we throw up a funding basket online and people donate to it. So that's what we do. And there's a little trickle, good ba- background trickle, from the the true fans, which is uh, like four hundred dollars a month, right there in the in the subscription donations. So so between that and and donations, we that's how we do it. And as I said again, we're gonna we're gonna re enliven the the nonprofit sector channel, the five hundred one c three, because there's people have expressed that they would donate if they can get a tax write-off. So there's a big cash cow there, I think. So we're going to tap that um, more in the future. We're going to reorganize that again. We thought we could avoid that, but I think to really accelerate the project, we, we're going to go back to it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. You know, and um, I'm hoping that we can possibly, you know, like you had pointed out the possibility of, you know, what you're doing you being featured in one of the Zeitgeist movies, and I think that would be great. We need to mm-hmm. try to get a hold of Peter Joseph. Um, you know, if there's anybody listening who has a better, you know, has better luck with that than I do, by all means, please get a hold of Mr. Joseph and tell him about this. Um, yeah. It, so that the possibility could exist that you guys could at least be, uh, you know, maybe one of you could be interviewed for one of the upcoming Zeitgeist films. Yeah, that would be um, awesome. Yeah, as far as the audience right now, uh, where you can help us directly is if you want to subscribe or donate. I mean, we've got the subscriptions. We call that the True Fans. We call it the Thousand True Fans, Thousand Global Villages, and we're getting people to sign up, subscribe for ten dollars a month for two years, and that has been a real boost to our economy, <laughs> at least the background economy. But yeah, we're all 100% crowd supported. Now, I remember, um, actually, this is actually a question of mine, um, just because I've been very interested, I don't know why, but in hydroponic farming lately. Um, and now, you guys were growing lettuce, and I remember seeing the lettuce, and it, it, was, it was ironic, because I'm not really a lettuce person, but I looked at it, and I was like, wow, this is some wonderful-looking lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> like, it made me want to eat it. I mean, did it taste better, you know, when you made it that way? I mean, it was like, the leaves were huge, at least, unless... Yeah. Uh, it was good. I mean, it was great. It was most beautiful, because it was spotless. I mean, totally clean and untouched by any dirt or insects. Mm-hmm. So that was great. But the thing about that is, from um, I mean, from our perspective, depending how you do it, but if you talk about the more engineered the system is, the, the more effort you have to take to maintain it. So 
I wonder how the, the future cities of tomorrow are going to turn out in terms of food production, but, but our deal was to transition from the hydroponics into organoponics. So that means growing things in compost, so essentially super-rich soil where you don't have any issues with providing nutrients or providing moisture. You just create the most, um, uh, well, most rich environment for a plant to grow, but, but don't make it so engineered as, as the hydroponics. Because if you're growing in compost or in very very rich soil, you've got a lot of you know a lot of the the microbes and other biodiversity that that make the growing much easier. So you can't get catastrophically wiped out. Uh, when we got wiped out by thrips on the hydroponics the second time around when we tried it. So um, it's a careful balance. If you have super limited space, you might want to go to to maximize the produ production and and the hydroponics and put a lot of labor into it, or you can do it much more non-intensively where the organoponics, which means growing things in compost, that's uh, that's another route to go. And we're going to switch to that more here. So altogether we're going to have our, I mean, goats and chickens, animals, our orchard, our garden, our field crops, and, and the intensive organoponics and uh, once again supported by open source agricultural equipment where we're in control of it and the maintenance costs of that don't kill the operation. That's excellent. And I guess I see what you're, saw, you're saying now about organoponics versus hydroponics. I'm glad that I actually learned that because it comes in handy. You know, my wife's always wanted to make a compost pile for gardening and such. And um, yeah. I mean, I imagine you could still contain your organoponic system within, you know, like within a structure so that you can use it in any climate. Is that correct? Yeah, sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I mean the the truth is you can get intense amounts of food from a from a given area, but the trade-off is how much labor do you want to put into that? I mean, you can do a high maintenance or a low maintenance system, and the goal is to make it along the lines of permaculture, plant out as many perennial crops as you can, and design it so it's an integrated system, not just not just monoculture. So, like, you want to stay away from, say, the, the lettuce, just lettuce and, and monoculture, even though it's hydroponic and beautiful, uh, you know, it's high maintenance. Well, yeah, and that is another thing we, we talk about quite a bit, actually, is trying to eliminate as much labor as possible because it is one of the problems that actually, you know, you run into is that you, if you can get rid of, if you get things as automated as possible, then, you know, or even just, you know, easy to do, then you're going you're gonna to have a lot lower stress lifestyle and it gives you time to do other things like... Um, researching to be even more independent of labor. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so, you know, we, we've definitely covered a lot here. Um, now, is there any aspect of your project that, you know, like that is kind of something that's new and exciting, you know, what, like for you, that's maybe you're looking at something that's around the horizon that you might want to share with our listeners? Well, like as far as the automation part, that's definitely live, a live topic here. And right now we're building the torch, the computer-controlled torch table for cutting metal with a with a plasma torch. Right. Which means that instead of a person doing that, you can just hit the return key on a computer and have the thing cut out all the metal for building things like tractors or compressed earthwork presses. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing in itself because it's it's the automation in practice, and it will save much labor and allow us to to work only a, a little bit and then commit most of our time to more meaningful endeavors. Now that endeavor for me is, is the research, so I'm going to be continuing in a lot of different research, but 
um, in principle, the, the quality lifestyle with minimal labor is what's around the corner. So the other thing we've been talking about here is actually a robotic six-degree-of-freedom arm for doing things like welding. Well, that's a technology we can open source, and otherwise it's very expensive. But uh, we do a lot of welding here, and to save our health, don't breathe the fumes, let a robot do it. Right. So, I mean, this Definitely. is space age, you know, space age stuff, but uh, very exciting because if you can open source it, make it low cost, it can be feasible. And, um, uh, you know, <laughs> imagine everybody had one of these things, uh, possibly. But, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's amazing, too, is I don't think people are really as uh, knowledgeable about what robots are capable of um, as they should be. I mean, I, I got to watch on a YouTube recently a pair of robots making sushi, of all things. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. how, how close do you think we are to, uh, like, a fully automated uh, farm system? I mean, obviously, you're still going to have to go in there and, you know, make sure everything's going okay, but that's a heck of a lot less labor than doing well, farming. Well, I mean, uh, in some way, you can, if you talk about permaculture, you know, perennial design, you're talking about your edible landscape or lots of perennial crops between, between fruits, nuts, berries, perennial vegetables, um, a landscape that essentially takes care of itself and you can mix in chickens there or you can mix in goats and uh, bats to provide bat guano and <laughs> uh, fish, fish in ponds and so forth. I mean, that essentially is all automated. I mean, the things take care of themselves. I mean, for even the chickens, I mean, the goats are certainly self-replicating. The fish are, right. the chickens are, or you can assist it with a chicken incubator. Um, you can do propagation, plant propagation to replicate your trees. So, I mean, uh, people talk about these uh, funky automated systems, but I mean, um, I don't really see a need for that to tell you the truth because the a well-designed landscape can be extremely robust in, in providing food. But then you do want to add things like the field crops, like you're, you know, if you want to have staples like beans or, or wheat or rice, uh, we actually did talk about automating the tractor uh, here. Uh, we built the open source tractor, and it would not be a far cry to, you know, to just program it and have it do your tilling or weeding for you. You know, I mean, you that still have to pay it to go out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's not so far out, really. It's it's like. You know, I was always well. Why, why do you want to do that? It's so complicated, and and you know, you could just do it. Uh, I mean, perhaps very large operations might want to do that. But I do also see a case where, um, if you have, I mean, say, open source control systems that combined with an open source tractor, I mean, it becomes totally feasible at very low cost. I mean, basically at the price of materials if Definitely. it's open source. So, so I mean. I, I didn't really think about it until um, until this year, actually, when when I thought, hey, why why not just automate that, and you don't have to go out there for an hour to do your your weeding? Because I mean, weeding is definitely a major major task in organic agriculture. If you're not using your pesticides, you're trying to do it ecologically. You're going to have to weed or or provide mulch to suppress the weeds or something. So. But but then, well, if we had the tractor that just went out there, uh, whatever, laser-guided or whatever, automatic, you know, that is major work that you're saving off your back. And that, that could be the difference between, you know, doing uh, just 
trying to survive or, or really thriving. You know, well, so. yeah, and especially, I mean, you know, you're going to run into people who, for example, don't, um, who probably can't. Maybe they're too old or they're, they're uh, in some way uh, disabled or handicapped and, you know, can't go out there and do that. And, you know, so, I mean, there's definitely a benefit to that. Now, somebody's asking, uh, do you have a recording or video of the presentation you gave at the Okanooks conference earlier this year? Yeah, certainly. It's it's online if you go to the weblog and go to the Okanooks 4 conference. It's on there. Excellent, excellent. Um, yeah. Now, uh, as far as like the, the projects that you've been doing, I, I noticed you mentioned ecology and all that. I mean, one of the major concerns of the Venus Project is that we definitely want things to be as ecologically sound as possible as well because the Earth is kind of our future. Now, I mean, I mean, obviously, I mean, you guys, what you're doing now is, you know, not really creating any pollution. It, but is that an aspect that you take very seriously in the designing of all these machines, is ensuring that, you know, that they're ecologically friendly as well? Absolutely, 100%. I mean, that's, the ecology in our name refers to integration of human and natural systems, mm -hmm. and it also means the standard ecology as, as we know it. But... Yes, everything about it, from solar energy to, to growing our fuels. I mean, we basically want to demonstrate that you can grow your entire infrastructure for food provision, housing provision of local resources, like like compressed earth bricks and local lumber from our own trees with a sawmill. Right. Uh, solar energy, biofuels that are from our local area. Um, if you talk about way down the road to advanced technologies, smelting aluminum from clay. Yeah, right. do it cleanly with with uh, clean solar energy and and basically one of the points of doing it on a small scale is you're not going to be dumping this in anybody's backyard. Yeah, you're going to be living with the product. So part of the design is you better be clean. Yeah, a lot changed actually. You know, some things for the better and some things not. When we did the when we began to do the the massive uh, agriculture, massive manufacturing, and in, in its own way, it, it just because especially people are generally doing it for profit rather than just for what they need, you're going to end up with so much waste. You know, as mm -hmm. mentioned, just the people overproduce things so that they can compete for profit share. I mean, you, you've, you know, you've watched the presentation, so you know everything about what we're talking about there. Um, Absolutely. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's one of the central features that we're talking about becoming responsible for our, our immediate environment. And, uh, I mean, our huge claim is that, hey, you can create advanced civilization even on a small land parcels mm -hmm. if you're using using tools wisely and you've got open access to information I mean because I mean right now we're at a very very unique point where the technology is so advanced I mean computing power is so inexpensive and we've got uh, the open source movement out there where where you can have global sharing of collaboration and design um, I mean imagine a world where where people are developing things in the open source globally that's being contributed to a pool. You can download that. You can produce it with your computer-controlled fabrication equipment. I mean, that's like the Star Trek replicator. Yeah, um, it is. I don't think today. people realize just how important that technology really is. I mean, just being able to fabricate your own tools just because you, you downloaded it on the Internet. I mean, at that point, right. you're, you're basically just downloading your own tool and then you're, you're fabricating it, like you said, with a... With, you know, with a machine you made for like three hundred dollars, you know that's you think of the money you're going to save after you make that three hundred dollar machine. You know, I need mm -hmm. a screwdriver. I'll just use this fabricator. You know, I need you know, mm -hmm. X tool. I just use this fabricator, and now I have one. You know, the idea of downloading you know designs off the internet and fabricating them instantly in your home is extremely powerful. 
Um, and uh, it is. And uh, you know, it's one of the things actually occurred to me because I used to be a farmer myself was about the, the chickens and all that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, reproducing themselves, and I think one of the reasons it didn't really occur to me, you know, the way you were talking about, it was absolutely right. Is that it occurred to me also is that we as a people have become very dependent on the the consumer cycle. Uh, the, you know, I remember I bring this up on another show at one point. I always quote little, you know, like Little House on the Prairie. It occurred to me that the difference in lifestyle was that Mr. Engels maybe went to the store once a month to get a couple things that he couldn't make himself, but his wife made all of his clothes, you know, he had land that he could farm for his, you know, his family's own food, you know, he did get a job, if he wanted extra money, he'd go work at the mill, but they were Mm -hmm. so much more capable of taking care of themselves, and it occurred to Mm -hmm. me, you know, that if one day we just, like, if aliens showed up and just took away every department store and grocery store on the planet, there are a lot of people who would have no idea what to do. Because little basic skills like, you know, even just like the most basic, you know, hunting, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't even know how to hunt and clean something. I, I've, most of my friends have no idea how to fish. You know, mm-hmm. they, they can uh, take down a Nixie in World of Warcraft, but they don't know how to fish. You know? yeah. um, and it's yeah. also just, uh, it, those are basic skills that they used to be something that everybody learned, and now it's, like you said, you know, it's, you kind of chuckled when I pointed out automating these things. You're like, well, uh, chickens kind of automate themselves. You got this this chicken factory. It's called a chicken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. The concept of of replication and furthermore self replication is becomes huge right now. Okay, so your your ecological system, your agricultural system is already self replicating largely. You can manage it, but if you design it properly, uh, it can be a low low-effort endeavor, but you have to take a lot of time to set it up properly with perennial crops, your orchards, and integration, full, fully mm-hmm. integrated system. Now, but look at the technology. I mean, the big claim we're making, too, is that the entire package, the Global Village construction set, is self-replicating. To, to give you an example, the torch table that we're building right now is designed in such a way that you can cut out most of the parts for the next torch table using that torch table. So, I mean, this becomes quite amazing when when you add computer control to um, certain mechanical devices and you can talk about self-replication of physical objects. So, what that implies is that you can produce and you can get assistance from computers and altogether, life does not have to be that hard and brutal. So, uh, that's that's the message we're trying to show that uh, by doing that is that okay well you can use advanced technology and you can you know, have a good lifestyle and that's a you know that's a really really hard one because you have to learn a lot of different skills and we've been so de-skilled and specialized that it becomes impossible for someone to even imagine that that is possible today but it certainly is well we certainly talk about that in the Venus Project quite a bit actually yep. is the fact that education needs to be changed um, a lot, you know, and the funny thing is is people are scared of when we talk about re-educating people, they always, you know, that's their their warning sign, they're like, oh no, you know, what do you mean re-educating, we've heard that before, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know, they always think it's some kind of fascist evil thing, I'm like, no, I mean re-educating people so that they're not stupid, (laughs) re-educating people so that they're actually recognizing the full potential of their brains, you know, in a lot of cases, just, uh, you know, for example, you know, it's, I would have never even contemplated building my own solar panels. 
you know, like I had said previously, because I would have been intimidated by the idea, you know, and I mm-hmm. would not have even been willing to endeavor on that, you know, and now, you know, because especially if you're listening to Jock talk about, you know, uh, education and just the fact that he wants to see a future where people, you know, it's not a matter of, you know, where, who do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's a matter of, you know, hey, what are you going to study tomorrow? You know, not, mm-hmm. not like 10 years from now. What are you studying right now? You know, mm-hmm. he also talks about people being generalists. You know, the fact that, like you pointed out, you know, you were basically being trained to be a cog in a machine for somebody else to make profit, you know. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that he talked about that he had a problem with was that, you know, like when he met students of architecture, because he's an architect who didn't really have any credentials, um, but he still managed to get his work done in many cases uh, and paid for it, but was that he'd meet students of architecture and they would all be very close-minded people. Like they already know everything. And, you know, mm-hmm. and the other thing he pointed out was that real innovators – were not people who had credentials in most cases. Like uh, right. he said that uh, when the Wright brothers, a couple of bicycle mechanics, were mm-hmm. making the, the, the Wright flyer, they were physicists writing books about how human-powered flight would never be possible. Right. Um, and obviously the, the Wright brothers never read those physics books, so mm-hmm. <laughs> that didn't make them less qualified to figure out flight. It made them more able to, to do it. And, yep. you know, you talk about... The paradigm shift is that people don't know that this technology is available, first of all, at all. Like, you know, I, I told you on the phone mm-hmm. call, and I've told people since, you know, people didn't know that geothermal is already being used, you know, in Iceland. Mm-hmm. They think geothermal, they think, you know, Captain Kirk and Star Trek and dilithium crystals. You know, they don't think it's a realistic goal. Mm-hmm. And so, basically, they, you know, when you finally point it out to them, it opens their mind. And it was like, why do we not know about this? Why is this something that isn't being talked about? Mm-hmm. And that just brings you back to the profit motive. They don't want people to know yeah. that you, they can heat and cool their homes with geothermal relatively inexpensively, from what I understand. Um, they don't want people to know that, you know, you can build your own tractor. Like, people, honestly, they, the whole mentality, like I said, based on consumerism, like you said, a tractor. People think tractor. They're like, well, I guess I'll have to go to the local John Deere shop. The notion of ever building their own tractor was just like something they'd never do. You know, and that's, um, I remember talking to people about how that's changed. It's like, for example, education uh, shop class, for example, is being taken out of many of the schools. You know, the yeah. um, wood shop is, is a thing of the past. They yeah. have like kind of like a general technology class where you might get to mess around with a couple of things, but it's not like it used to be. I mean, in metal shop, people used to fabricate things. People used to make stuff. I mean, it wasn't necessarily great stuff, but you were getting exposed to the basic fundamentals, and it also cultivated that, you know, people did that, realized they enjoyed it, and then decided to go ahead and do it as a career, you know, based on that. You know, and uh, it's amazing to me, actually, how we have lost track of that. And also just, you know, like, you know, I I come back to that about taking care of yourself, how I don't think people really realize that the, uh, the profit motive capitalist system is making us more and more dependent on it as time goes past. You know, the more and more, you know, stuff that you have that you need that you do not know how to make yourself, you know, the more you are utterly dependent on continually moving in the cycle of cyclical consumption. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially that is the other aspect that, you know, what you're talking about will help people in a situation, you know, like as was described in the Zeitgeist Orientation presentation, the breakdown of cyclical consumption is not an if, it's a when, and it's already happening here in Michigan. Um, you know, and it's if you if you're out of a job right now, that's the other thing people don't really think about this is that, you know, Mr. Ingalls would not have died if he lost his job at the mill. He'd still his family would still be fed. He'd you know he'd still have whatever he needed for his family. 
nowadays you don't have a job, um, you don't have a family. You know, you will lose your family. The fa- you know, the, the, basically the government will take them from you if you can't take care of them in the, the traditional sense. But that is entirely dependent for most people on you finding somebody else who wants to hire you, you know, to do something for them so that they can make way more profit off of your work than you ever will see. You know, and that's kind of the example. It's one of the reasons why, you know, we, we focused, as we were talking about earlier, on, you know, in, in the Zeitgeist movement, on making people aware that these things are possible and that they're real. You know, because, like, if you just sit around and watch mainstream TV, like, for example, you're, you're going to think that um, hydrogen is the way. And, like, you were talking about fusion, how it's always 10 mm-hmm. years away. You know, hydrogen being the replacement for oil cars is another thing that just seems to perpetually be about 10 years away. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, and like you were talking about uh, the possibility of batteries, we, we discussed that. And uh, the, the first thing that popped into my head was the, uh, the Who Killed the Electric Car documentary mm-hmm. where that one company was willing was building and designing a battery that would have extended the, uh, the EV1, which wasn't even a very good electric car because they weren't trying to do it on purpose. <laughs> it extends it extend the range to 500 miles. You know, and the Texaco saw that, was threatened by it, and instead of mm-hmm. embracing that for the sake of humanity, they buried it. You know, they bought the company mm-hmm. and they buried the project. And that's, yeah. that's one of the reasons why, you know, we, we are definitely coming to a point now where we're making, you know, serious projects, um, serious progress in, in getting people awake. And then, as you said, you know, what you're doing and what we're doing goes hand in hand. And I definitely look forward to seeing the future involvement of uh, the members of the Zeitgeist Movement in the open source ecology, you know, efforts. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, you know, I would once again encourage you to participate in our forums, start threads, because there are people right now who are really wanting to take this to the next level, you know, to do something more physical with their hands and practical about it. You know, then mm-hmm. these are people who don't want to do things like go to universities and give lectures. Maybe that's not their talent. You know, we've got guys out there that see the possibility of a better future, and they're mm-hmm. hoping that they can do something with it. And these are the, you know, there are people out there that like getting their hands dirty. And so, yeah. you know, I hope that, you know, the listeners who've been listening for all this time, you know, will take it out, you know, take, I know that you're out there, you've been whetting your appetite for this. The forum is, you know, full of threads of people who are like, you know, I want to build this, you know, can we do that? You know, what about the transition? Can we get started right now? You know, and if that's what you want, then this is the direction you need to go. You need to find projects like these to put in, you know, all that energy you have. And um, so um, we're now down to the last 10 minutes of the show. Um, I want to thank you very much for coming on. If anybody mm-hmm. wants to call um, in the last 10 minutes, please feel free to do so, 347-945-7747. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you have any further questions in the chat room, by all means, bring them up. And uh, in the meantime... Um, you know, actually, I'm, I wanted to tell you that, you know, some of the people in the chat room are very happy with this interview. One of them said that, the, that you're their new hero. <laughs> and he was a student of engineering and that he's going to tell all of his student, you know, fellow students in engineering about what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in addition to that, uh, you know, there have been people talking about how this could be, an, you know, has great grassroots potential to bring about awareness. I mean, especially when you can demonstrate this stuff to people you know, uh, and, and have like a working model because that is one thing that the Venus Project um, kind of lacks is like the is the step from here to there. I mean, there are there is a lot of talk about it, but mm-hmm. you know, when you look at Jacques' stuff, his stuff I think could be done today, but it would require an awful lot of effort, of, like of collectively, of like whole countries of people. It isn't something that could be done by just a few. Um, right. You know, and 
but as opposed to that, you know, to the people who just want to get off the grid now, you know, what you're talking about is even simpler than a lot of the off the grid stuff that people are talking about, you know, and, um, and that's a good start, especially for those of you who want to get out of the, the monetary system as much as possible. A system like what, you know, is being proposed here with open source ecology is something that allows you to get more and more independent. Um, and then eventually, you know, as I said earlier, you know, you, you start spending the extra money. This is a po point I didn't get to finish earlier, really, like when you said you guys produced extra lettuce and you were able to sell it all. You know, it, you, it's a matter of the technology begins to eventually pay for itself. You know, first of all, obviously, you know, if, if you can figure out ways to produce all the food you need, your grocery bills are gone. If you're producing more feed than you possibly need, you can sell that extra food and then take that money and turn around and invest it in being even more independent. And then eventually, mm -hmm. once you're finished, any money you have at that point is spent on just further researching and getting even more out of that system. And yeah. you know, for those of you who want to be free of, you know, having a boss, you know, th this is the way to do it. And I think it kind of comes down to just, you know, uh, getting off your butts and doing it. <laughs> and I think yeah, that's I mean, what psychology is all about. Go ahead. We call, we call our compressed earth brick press the liberator. Well, because you can either go to the bank, get yourself a $300,000 loan, or you can press bricks from the ground that's under your, your site. So it's an example where um, just import substitution or, or just taking charge by, by having robust equipment that, can, that, that really works. And, and the compressed earth brick press is one of those things that, that actually works, and you can... It's, if it's an automated machine like, like ours with high productivity, then you're talking about very effective production. So we're actually going to demonstrate a little 12 by 12 structure that we can do that in about a day, uh, just pressing out bricks with the machine and just stacking them right off the machine uh, into the structure. But the, the deal is that, you know, you can chase the American dream or, you know, whatever life is about for, for your whole life, uh, or you can take other ways to go about it. You, you have to really ask yourself, well, what are your needs, and then how you could meet them. And, and one way is to go into the system to meet all your needs, but, but there's, there's other alternatives out there. Uh, but I must say it's, it's not easy because a lot of that technology is not out there. The life, lifetime design, uh, life-giving technologies, they're, they're really missing, and that's what we're trying to focus on, to create them so people have widespread access to them. Another thing for the average individual is that does take an investment that, you know, lower class, um, you know, you can't even hope to get a, an acre of land, much less right. you know, 500 extra bucks for a tool or anything. So That's right. There's, yeah, there are certainly built-in catches in the system that prevent many people from jumping out. And that's why a collective effort would be good, though. I mean, if you get, if I got, say, 30 people together from my income bracket, we could feasibly do something. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, our, our plan for replication is that once we build enough of the Global Village construction set, so that means you have your, your means to build housing with compressed earth brick and sawmill and tractor and supporting equipment, you've got effective... We're building a gene bank here and a whole replicator facility where you can propagate your plants and animals um, and then the technology front where you can build just about anything. Well, once we have enough of that built up, we can take that infrastructure to, to a, a bare piece of land 
and very effectively build it up at very little cost. I mean, just to give you the cost examples, I just, you can look at that on our, actually in the Okanuk's presentation. But I showed that if you wanted to have an integrated equipment base off the shelf to build um, a community, it would cost you about $250,000 of equipment. And you can build it uh, with, with open source equipment, it would cost you about $25,000 in parts. So That's uh, huge. That's a the big kind of, difference. Well, yeah, it is a huge difference. And uh, the point is that what we aim to do is, one, open source the plans for doing that if you're capable, or also uh, sell these things to people at, at reasonable cost, or train people in workshops to actually build, you know, you know, come, come over and build a CEB machine on a weekend or something like that. Various things where people would never imagine she can do something. Build a tractor over a weekend. I mean, the design that we have is so simple, actually, and it's built together. It's like your life-size Lego set. Uh, but these kinds of things become possible if you design, um, design for service, for low cost, for, service, for uh, performance, uh, not sacrificing any performance either. So that's, that's all feasible. Now, Chibi, I think I interrupted you. Did you have something else to say? I'm sorry about that. Not really. Yeah, I mean, what you just said pretty much hits, the, hits it on the end. It sounds like the property itself and the sales tax you would pay on that property would, mm -hmm. you know, ten times over what it would cost to actually, you know, sustain yourself on it. I mean, it sounds like you would spend more a year on property tax than anything else once you got something like this going. Mm -hmm. uh, possible. Depends where you are right now. Um, taxes are very low. They're not a burden burden at all. But that's that's the point. You have to you have to start using effective means of production for outside markets, because there will until the system changes. There will be your your taxes and and everything else that you got to pay up to the system. So the effective production is the only way to get about it. And you want to be effective in your production anyway. And that's why we're building all these tools. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of our listeners is asking, have you ever considered getting on TED Talks? Absolutely. One of our goals is to, is to become a TED Fellow. I want to consider that seriously and apply next year because that would give us a lot of exposure. And uh, that program is essentially one where uh, they kind of nurture you to, to, to develop your project. That's something we could really use. So absolutely, that's that's in my horizon. I would love to get on there. Well, I know we got Jacques and Peter Joseph invited uh, just through you know our movement in being diligent and contacting these people enough and saying we wanted to see them. So um, perhaps you know the, to the listeners, we can yeah. get together another thread and um you know push to get marching on the TED talks. Um, no, yeah, because I mean, we did it before. I mean, you know, once again, I mean, once we, as we pointed out, Jacques doesn't have any credentials, but they invited him. Um, mm -hmm. He unfortunately can't make the, uh, he can't uh, do the obligations that go with it because he's 90 years old. He can't uh, do the same uh, kinds of traveling he used to. But mm -hmm. in any case, this has been a wonderful uh, um, uh, conversation, and um, I do hope to talk to you guys more. And I know you asked me, you invited me to be part of a future conference call. Yeah, um, and I would absolutely be willing to do that. And I hope that we get hit you guys on the Ventrilo because it's like kind of a 24-hour conference call where you can, you know, talk back and forth with us. But um, once again, now we're down to like the last 60 seconds of the show. Um, please be sure to visit theradio.org. 
at v-radio.org. Um, I am looking for donations for next month to help stay on the air. Um, things are improving a little bit here, but um, it's, it's up and down and topsy-turvy, so um, I want to continue to be able to offer you guys the programming that I have. Um, and you will be getting a lot more out of me now. I just needed to take a break because things were rough. And thanks again, Marchin, for coming on, and uh, thanks yeah. again to my two panelists. Um, I look forward to seeing more out of open source ecology in the Zeitgeist movement. Thank Excellent. Thank you, Thank you. Nice to meet you. All right, everybody. Um, openfarmtech.org. Make sure you check it out. They have a forum there. We already actually kind of started a little bit of a dialogue between the Zeitgeist movement and uh, some of the people interested in uh, openfarmtech.org. So, um, you know, participate in the conversation. Let's get these ideas working together. Um, thanks mm -hmm. again to everybody. And, um, I'm going to end the show here, but we'll still be in the conference call afterwards just to do a little bit of follow-up conversation. Thanks again to everybody, and um, thank you for tuning in to V-Radio.